Luke chapter 21, we are going to read the entirety of the chapter. Uh, I take that back. We're going to start at verse 5, so we're not going to read the first four verses. Uh, we're going to begin verse 5, read the balance of the chapter. Uh, this will take us back into last week's to give us a running start, since we missed several of you last week, uh, into our uh, passage this morning, uh, and which will probably take us as well next Sunday to really finish up and uh, uh tie it all together before we get into the Passion Week events uh, that is often associated with this final week in Christ's life. But this important teaching, we want to be very deliberate in it because of what is out there and continues to be out there in terms of a wide breadth of strange statements being made. Luke chapter 21, verse 5, reading out the New King James Version. God's word says, then as some spoke of the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and donations, he said, these things which you see, the days will come in which not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. So they asked him saying, teacher, but when will these things be and what sign will there be when these things are about to take place? And he said, Take heed that you not be deceived, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time has drawn near. Therefore do not go after go I'm sorry. <clears throat> Therefore do not go after them. But when you hear of wars and commotions, do not be terrified, for these things must come to pass first, but the end will not come immediately. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be great earthquakes in various places and famines and pestilence. And there will be fearful sights and great signs from heaven. But before all these things, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons. You will be brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. But it will turn out for you as an occasion for testimony. Therefore, settle it in your hearts, not to meditate beforehand on what you'll answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom, which all your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. You will be betrayed even by parents and brothers, relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But not a hair of your head shall be lost. By your patience, possess your souls. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation is near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are in the midst of her depart, and let not those who are in the country enter her. For these are the days of vengeance, that all things which are written may be fulfilled. But woe to those who are pregnant, and to those who are nursing babies in those days, For there will be a great distress in the land and wrath upon this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And there will be signs in the sun, in the moon, and in the stars, and on the earth, distress of nations with perplexity. The sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them from fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth. 
For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. Then he spoke to them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they are already budding, you see and know for yourselves that summer is now near. So you also, when you see these things happening, know that the kingdom of God is near. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away until all things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. But take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and cares of this life, and that day come on you unexpectedly. For it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch, therefore, and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. And in the daytime... He was teaching in the temple. But at night he went out and stayed on the mount called Olivet. Then early in the morning, all the people came to him in the temple to hear him. The destruction of Jerusalem. Not a destruction to come, but one that has already occurred. From our perspective. We looked at the fall of Jerusalem from 66 to 70 AD, that three and a half year siege. It involved two different forces. And we find that all the prophetic material in Scripture, not only here in Luke 21, but in Matthew, in Revelation, uh, in the Old Testament, much of it occurred. And within our context today, we find a statement we're not going to actually get to, I don't think, but we want to address it a little bit where Christ says, make sure you understand assuredly, verse 32 of Luke 21, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass till all things take place. We're going to talk a little bit about that probably in two week or next week. Well, for definitely next week, maybe today, but definitely next week. Um, I just want to touch on it very briefly. There's a lot of discussion on this verse. Is he talking about that he is going to return within a generation. That's how some took it, even of that generation's reception. Um, we see, of course, its fulfillment in the fall of Jerusalem, which was within a generation of his declaration. And so I would contend that rather than trying to manipulate the idea of which generation it is, what he meant by the word generation, some want to extend that to include the entire times of the Gentiles that are given at the end of verse 24, which is reasonable, one solution. Uh, The other idea is, what does he mean by all things? And I believe it goes back to the original question, which is why we read the whole text today. The original question is, when will be the fall of Jerusalem? And all the things that he described around the fall of Jerusalem and really, therefore, the fall of Israel again occurred within that generation. 
as we understand that this instruction is being given uh, in the mid, early 30s A.D., uh, we see that within about 33, 34 years, what Jesus described occurred. An army surrounded Jerusalem. And she fell. And the church escaped largely. Those who heeded Christ's instruction here escaped. We studied this extensively last Sunday as we looked at God's working there of why the warning. The warning was to prepare His people, the church, comprised um, early on of a majority of Jewish people, of Israelites, I should say. We find that... um, He has instructed them to brace themselves for tribulation because people are going to hate you and abuse you. He has further instructed them that you can trust in the Lord to open your mouth with boldness, even if you don't have a prepared statement, even if you don't have a lawyer telling you what to say. You can speak and speak with freedom and know that the Lord will direct you to speak what cannot be answered by the world. He has further communicated to them that it may very well be the end of their physical life on earth as a result, and yet none of who they are will be lost. That their souls will be preserved and not a hair. We don't often think of our souls having hair Um, But for some of us, that's becoming a very precious truth as we lose our natural hair. I want to see how Pastor Leishman gets that together with his material and immaterial part, if our souls have hair or not. Um, But the idea that not one part of who you are is lost in the midst of even while the world says you lost your life for the cause of Christ. We sang a hymn this morning also that had a very gruesome statement in verse 2. Gruesome in our minds, but blessed to those who write in faith of our fathers, where it says, oh, what wonderful thing would happen if our children had the privilege of dying for Christ. You all sang it, and I wonder how many parents believe that, that it would be a privilege for our children to be murdered for the name of Jesus Christ. That that would be considered something to rejoice in. And yet this is the instruction of Christ. These things are going to happen. He guarantees it within the generation. He has prepared His people for it, to be strengthened, to anticipate it. And as you anticipate it, um, you're, you know the way is hard, and that's what the faith of our Father says. We, we know this path we're going on is going to be hard, and we smile all the more. We're prepared to take that path and to press on in it. This morning I went to the end of our hall where our kids' bedrooms are, and we have something on the wall there at the end of the hall, and I wanted to read that this morning before I I almost brought it over to read to you, and it is... Um, the statement of the, uh, what is it? I just it slipped my mind. The Fellowship of the Unashamed. And I don't know how many of you have read that description. Uh, very powerful statement. 
if you mean it, of nothing in this world will stand between me and my Savior and my following after him is going to preclude anything else, even my own safety. Because our spiritual safety is that precious a thing. So, we saw, do we love country more than Christ? Then we are in deep trouble. For the disciples, they love Jerusalem. But that can't compare to loving Christ. And so, Jerusalem's going to be destroyed. He even gets more personal and says, parents, brothers, relatives, and friends, they're going to want to put you to death. Do you love them more than Christ? Then you are no disciple of Jesus Christ. And he's made that statement very strongly. And so, we have studied the fall of Jerusalem and seen its application to us, now we're going to press on into some other things that are just as sure to happen as the fall of Jerusalem. So when Jesus says, understand that not one word that I say will pass, not one word is going to go undone, he is telling them, for your generation, the answer to your question is sure and it will happen in your generation. And that's the question. Let's go back to verse 7. When will these things be? What will be the sign when these things are about to take place? And he answers both questions. When will this be? In your generation, he tells them, this is going to happen. Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. What are the signs of it? And he gives them those signs. When you see the Jerusalem surrounded by armies, when you see this kind of persecution happen, which they are going to see happen within really a year. They're going to see that kind of persecution. And so, they are prepared for their generation. And now we want to press on. Because there's going to be a movement now by Christ, like all prophets of old, in the, in the Bible, all biblical prophets have this movement from near to far prophecies. They will give you something close at hand. Something that is going to be within your lifetime. Something you will see. And so the writers of Scripture saw the fall of Jerusalem. They saw it happen just the way the Bible described. 30-some, 40 years before it happened. They saw it. What does that mean? That means that that one who prophesied is trustworthy. And that near prophecy is used to confirm to us all that that prophet communicated. And so these near prophecies of Jesus Christ now give us a confirmation and a confidence that what he has to say about the future, the distant future to his generation, is just as true, just as dependable, just as sure. And it's there that we want to look because it's there that we are drawing near. And the same two questions we ask of Jesus Christ, right? When is it going to happen? And what will be the signs that it's drawing near? And in the Christian community, that those two questions have been asked over and over again, generation after generation. When is it going to happen? What are the signs that it is drawing near? And the Bible has not been silent 
in regards to that. Some have kind of relegated that, throw up their hands. No one can know the day or the hour. Therefore, we're, we're, we're just foolish to even ask the question. If that's the case, then there's large portions of Scripture that are pointless. The Bible does describe the end coming as a thief in the night, but it also describes God's people as knowing that He's coming. And if you know the thief is coming, you'll be ready, right? You'll have your 45 out or your whatever it is that you have protecting your home. I've got a cop, so I've got all kinds of weapons. I've got an arsenal, so I'm all set. And I have someone that knows how to use it, so I'm good. But it didn't stop them from egging my house this week. So Anyway, so we want to look at what is it that God has told us about His coming. Before we do that, let's go, Lord, in prayer. Lord God, we do thank You for Your love for us to answer questions that you know are on our hearts and our minds and to give us instruction on how we should live as we anticipate the fulfillment of your uh, prophecies of your coming. And Lord, as we travel this world during these times of the Gentiles, our prayer and desire is that we might live as what we claim to be, children of another kingdom. Help us to look into your word with those kinds of eyes today. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, verse 25, we are going to pick up where Jesus is going to shift gears. He's going to shift gears from answering the disciples' question to answering your question. You are also, if you are truly his disciple, you're going to ask that same question. When will these things be? What will be the sign when these things are drawing near? And that has really been the focus of much of prophecy, not only to tell you what's going to happen, but what are the precursors to what's going to happen. The big event that we are looking for is, of of course, Christ's coming. And he talks about, verse 27, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And we go, that's what we want to see. We want to see Jesus Christ returning to reign on earth. We want to see him coming with power and great glory. We want to see what the disciples wanted to see, and that was God's kingdom on earth. And so Jesus has now transitioned into a distant time that didn't happen in 70 A.D., it was not his intent to make it happen in 70 A.D., he communicated that already in verse 24 that this is going to happen until the times of the Gentiles is fulfilled. And so Jerusalem's going to be trampled for a season. He's already told them earlier, don't think that the end is going to come immediately. There's going to be a parenthesis in time in regards to Israel and the kingdom. And that parenthesis is described as the times of the Gentiles. We live in it. We benefit from it. For it is in the times of the Gentiles that the Gentiles are brought into the kingdom of heaven through salvation in Jesus Christ. So be glad that the times of the Gentiles lasted long enough for you to get saved. And if you are here and not someone who has received Christ as your Savior, um, there's no guarantee. 
that you'll have more opportunity. We don't know when the times of the Gentiles will come to its conclusion, but we should be able to tell when it's near. And that's what Jesus communicates to us. Now, this year we have had the privilege of having this all brought before our attention by a Harold Camping, who is uh, right now kind of on his deathbed. And I think he kind of knew that, and that's why he did what he did, which is a big mistake. Um, it wasn't the first time he did it either, as saying of setting a date. I'm not going to set a date today, but I still believe God has told us when he's coming and what will be the signs of his arrival. Jesus Christ did not hear say, at 66 AD, a Jerusalem, uh, uh, an army of Romans is going to surround Jerusalem. He didn't say that. He said, when that happens, you know, you're very, very close. And in fact, the fall didn't happen for three and a half years later. But they were within three and a half years of it. And so he didn't set a date. He didn't tell them the day Jerusalem fall, fell, although we know that date today. He didn't tell them how long exactly they had, but he told them, as soon as you see this sign, you better start doing something. And that something you better start doing is get out of Jerusalem, go hide in the mountains, and brace yourself. It's going to get really ugly. And it did. We have record of how the Romans reacted to Jerusalem and what happened there to that rebellion and the slaughter of Jewish people in Damascus and Caesarea and wherever they could be found. Not by the households, but by the entire community. We think that Hitler is unique in history and he isn't. The Romans would gather them up in the Colosseum by the thousands, by the tens of thousands, and run through them. And of course, Christians were thought to be a sect of Judaism, and so they were thrown in there as well. And so rightly, Jesus said, if you're my disciple and you believe what I say, you're going to do what I say, and that is, when you see this sign, run and hide in the mountains and pray that you're not pregnant or nursing. Because that's just going to make your flight more difficult. And so, the Romans slaughtered 10,000 people in the Colosseum in one hour by gathering all the Jewish community into that Colosseum in Damascus. Now, Damascus rings a bell, doesn't it? A certain man named Saul of Tarsus was heading there to try to ferret out the Christians and make their lives miserable, and God intervened. And on that road from Jerusalem to Damascus, he met Jesus Christ was blinded by Christ, goes into Damascus dependent upon those around him and waiting, dependent upon a Christian there named, uh, what was that guy's name, Ananias, to come and tell him the truth. And that is, you met the Lord on the way, and I come in his name, and in his name you'll receive sight, not only physically, but to picture the spiritual sight that you received by Jesus Christ. And Christ, or I'm sorry, and, and Saul preached there, later became known as Paul, but he preached there in Damascus to the point that they wanted to kill him and they had to sneak him out of town. So there was a Christian community in Damascus before Saul arrived. It was further developed after he was there. And so when you hear about 
this sign around Jerusalem, don't think it only had to do with the people in Jerusalem. It had to do with all Christians in the Roman world because they were considered a Jewish sect. And so they all fled. And like Jerusalem, many fled out of Damascus and other places to avoid that slaughter. We have now an instruction. What to look for, when to look for it, and how to respond. Let's look at it. There will be signs in the sun, in the moon, in the stars, and on the earth, distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them from fear and expectation of those things which are coming on the earth, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And so we have jumped, leapt forward now into a time in the future. This description is given to us further and with more development. Other portions of Scripture, um, perhaps most familiar to us, is in Matthew 24 and in uh, Revelation chapter 6. But we have this description of a time when it seems that earth is just upside down. It's upside down naturally. It's upside down politically. It's upside down in absolute turmoil even while it is in that kind of turmoil, there is a secondary sign that we are given, and that is that there is an entity that is doing unbelievable things. Signs and wonders. And so we'll have the natural world turning upside down almost. Meanwhile, we'll have the technological world, that is the world of men, of what men accomplish, um, just exploding. Daniel describes it as knowledge will increase. In Revelation, it's described as this entity that does signs and wonders by which it enthralls the world. It makes pictures talk. It brings fire down from heaven, the sight of men. It can do incredible things. It even has a way to control the world's economy through a numerical system. All that is clearly described in Revelation 13. All these signs and wonders, it just lists them off. Boom, boom, boom. These aren't minuscule things that you have to hunt and search and peck and, and turn over secret documents to discover. Prophecy never works that way. Prophecy works in great big things that everybody has seen. And I love those that are going around and, and, and they're trying to figure out prophecy by these little tiny fulfillments. Like somehow God's got these signs that, own, that are almost secret. Okay, let's go back to Jafal, Jerusalem. What was the sign? An army surrounding the city. Do you think anyone missed that? You think anyone in Jerusalem is like, uh, there's an army out there? I missed it. Let me share with you, no one misses the signs unless you choose to be blinded to them. You choose to be ignorant of it as a sign. We see this occurring to some degree in every generation, but what the, the description in Scripture is, is that it will be exacerbated, it will be multiplied as Christ comes, as His coming draws very near. We should anticipate this. And so when we walk around and we see a world that, that is just like 
can there be any more natural disasters that are wiping out not just hundreds of people, not just tens of thousands of people, but hundreds of thousands of people at a time. That's what we've experienced in our day. Unprecedented. We can sit around and put our head in the sand and saying that there is no natural calamity occurring around us. Um, and that's the conservative model, right? That global warming doesn't, isn't happening. Um, and you hopefully know that I'm kind of un, you can't pigeonhole me. Um, and you guys are struggling with that sometimes. Um, I believe in natural calamity and I believe there's going to be big, big global natural calamity. Why? Because I believe the Bible. It's not because I believe uh, environmentalists or nor am I committed to their agenda. But I believe what the Bible says. And that is, as Christ draws near, this kind of turmoil is going to happen, not just globally, but universally. It describes signs of the sun and the moon that will be evidence. There will be evidence by watching them. He describes them as the stars. And then he says on earth, distress of nations. And we have seen that in generations past being described, well, the world war, that was the distress of the nations. Therefore, the time of his coming is drawing near. But as we've seen before, um, Wars between nations is the norm of the times of the Gentiles. What is strange is this distress of the nations, which is violent but not truly war. And I asked the question some weeks ago, what nation are we at war with? What nations are at war with each other today? And yet we have violence covering the earth. All nations are in distress. Violent distress in the distress of, of, the con- of economic distress. Um, and it talks about, and I love this little word, phrase, with perplexity. They're all scratched. How did this happen? They're just, they're, it's almost confusing. It's almost too much to, to try to take at once. There, there is no solution. Because they have rejected the one who is the solution, Jesus Christ. And so, yes, I recycle at my curbside. Um, do I think that's going to solve our Natural calamity? No, of course not. Because there's only one solution. And that is Jesus Christ. And His coming is drawing nigh. We have these descriptions that is going to culminate. I'm sorry, verse 26. I haven't gotten there yet. Men's hearts failing them from fear. An expectation of those things that are coming on the earth. Um, I want to share something about what I see in the generation 
of young people today. In my involvement with, and, I, and it's limited, I, I, I acknowledge that, but I try to read extensively. I have contact with young people um, through camp and through other means, and uh, I frankly don't know what they have to live for when you listen to them. Here's what they hear. And this isn't just in our country. This is globally. This is what they hear. We have a national debt that is going to strap you for the rest of your life. You'll never pay off. And it's only going to get worse. You can't pay the interest on it pretty soon. Um, You have a jobs outlook that is horrific. And the world is collapsing around you whether it's ozone or who knows what. And we have no end to conflict. How do you end a war on terror? How do you end it? You can pull troops out of anywhere you want. All you have to do is move them to somewhere else. How do you end it? And that's what their generation is facing. And when I talk to them, I find an interesting thing that they're afraid to make plans. I ask them, what do you want to do with your, with your life? And most of them have no clue. I talk to young people and I say, what's your plan? What do you want to be when you grow up? Because I had lots of dreams. I mean, I had a list I had to check off. You know, well, I'm not, probably not going to be an astronaut. I got glasses. Rocket scientist, that's pretty good. Doctor. Got down to pastor. A lot of these young people have no clue. We have a society that is gripped by fear. And that's not just here. I go to India and I see a society gripped by fear. And for that fear, they will relinquish things. And they are in the process right now of fully relinquishing all individual privacy because of fear. It has been used here in our country extensively as well. They used to try to entice us. They used to try to buy us into their system. Now we are rushing to them because of our fear. And fear is the means by which The enemy is drawing people into a system that is described in God's Word. We are expecting horrific things to come. And this goes from Joe the plumber, and we really have a Joe the plumber. Okay, that is the plumber. It's going to work out here tomorrow. To, I mean, I, I'm talking about just people that are strangers to me that I meet that start telling me, oh, the whole thing's going to collapse. And I can't believe the number of survivalists I'm meeting. And I told you this before. I just, everywhere. It's like everyone's trying to get their cache of food and, and of, it's just incredible. Never seen that kind of thing in the past. Why? Because of a fear of what's coming. Fundamentally, Most of our society 
does not look to the future as something bright, but as something frightening. And this Jesus describes, that this is the attitude of the culture, of the society, and and I see it in Haiti, and, I, and I've seen it in Peru, and I've seen it in India, um, and, and you, you just pick up the sense of it, um, talking to nationals in other countries, that, that there's an, impen, an, an impending doom almost, a, a dark cloud they feel hanging and is about to come. How can this be? Jesus Christ said, when you see hearts failing for fear, and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth, then know His coming is near. And then there is verse 27, which we wait for and anticipate. Verse 27 is the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now, what is this? This is not Him coming to establish the kingdom on earth. Because it describes him as in a cloud. This goes along Matthew 24 that describes him as being in the air. It goes along with uh, Revelation 6. And I keep referencing those. I think it's time we probably read a little bit of that. Go with me to Matthew 24. Uh, what I'm referring to is in verse 30. Let's back up into verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. And we kind of know what that means, don't we? What does that mean? The earth will be what? On fire. How do we know that? Because a couple weeks ago, that's the condition of Albuquerque. <laughs> you remember? The entire atmosphere is going to be disrupted. And here it comes. The moon will not give us light. The stars will fall from heaven. The powers of the heavens will be shaken. That's exactly what Luke said. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And He will send His angels with a great sound of a trumpet. And they will gather together His elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Has Christ gotten to earth? No, He's in the clouds. And what's He doing? He's got angels with a a trumpet, a sound of a trumpet, gathering who? The elect, the church. This is coming on a cloud. Not all the way to the earth to establish His kingdom, but coming on a cloud. And someone said, well, when it's cloudless, all of, cloudy all over the world at once, then the Lord's going to come. And that's not necessary. It doesn't say one giant cloud that covers the earth, but a cloud. And I'm pretty sure there's one on the earth right now. A cloud. He's going to come to gather his elect. And so it's that event. Christ says, when you see these things occurring, recognize this is the next event. Now, as far as Israel's concerned, when you see that, Israel, recognize something. Your kingdom is coming. How close is it? It's about seven years out. How do I know that? Because of Daniel, because of Revelation. I want to take you to Revelation chapter 6. I kept mentioning it as well, and I think it's important we do that. I know for many, many of you this is review, but it's worth reviewing, don't you think? This is your hope. 
Verse 12, chapter 6, I looked when he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth, and the moon became like blood. The stars of heaven fell to earth. Does this sound familiar to any of you? As a fig tree drops its late figs when it's shaken by a mighty wind, which is what Christ is going to get to here in a little bit. Then the sky receives as a scroll when it's rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved out of its place, and the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? What a strange thing. When there are earthquakes, do you run into mountains or away from them? You run away. You don't run into a cave during an earthquake. You try to get out in the open. And yet this is the kind of fearfulness that they're going to have that when Christ comes, they're going to want to die because they've seen Him. They have seen the Lamb. And while we're being extracted, that we being the church, those who have trusted in Jesus Christ as their Savior, there is great turmoil to come on earth and rightly do they fear it. Rightly should they. But we've been forewarned to be prepared. That preparation means that I am in a right relationship with Jesus Christ. And we are told in verse 28 when these things begin to happen. Now when they have fully happened, notice that. When these things begin to happen, look up. Lift up your heads. Your redemption draws near. Why do we begin looking up when they start to happen? Because by the end of it, the disciples of Jesus Christ are gone. Don't think that I'll look up and I'll start to get ready right when Christ shows up on the cloud. You'll have exactly that long. The Bible says it will happen in a twinkling of an eye. So when are we supposed to start getting ready? When we see the signs begin to happen in the fullness that they are described in Scripture, it says, look up, get ready, prepare yourself. Whatever was right or wrong with Harold Camping in terms of setting a date, which is wrong, 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 not right, um, there was a part of his message that's going to be lost in the mix, and I think I've shared this with you before, and that is judgment is coming. Be ready. And that statement that was attached to that date setting has been discounted with the date setting, and that's a very dangerous thing. Because a warning of coming judgment is a very important part of the church's message. The date setting is wrong, but they attached the judgment warning with the date setting and they threw it out. It's called throwing out the baby with the bathwater. There's a very precious baby there that I fear the Christian community is throwing out with the bathwater of date setting. And that is, we are to warn the world of a judgment to come. And that's coming very close. We are not seeing the ongoing signs of the church age. We are seeing the signs of the nearness of Christ's coming. And I'm not stretching it. I'm not manipulating it. I'm not forcing it. 
That's happened in other generations where we've taken global signs and we've made them regional. We've taken uh, great signs and made them small signs. And, uh, and, and we've taken natural signs and made them spiritual signs. We don't have to do that anymore. So what does that tell you? The command of Christ for you today is look up. Why are you all looking at me? Because you don't believe it, do you? Look up. Lift your head up. Don't sit there and walk around like this. Oh, it's so terrible. What's going to happen? The world has just gone bad. Oh, for the good old days during the Depression or something. Um, Oh, boy, this is terrible. I wish Ronald Reagan were still alive and the president. That would have solved it all. No, it wouldn't have. You see the turmoil of our world. The response for the Christian is, hey, this sounds familiar. This looks familiar. In fact, I think I was told to listen and look for exactly these things. And in response to it, my command from my Savior is, look up. Lift up your heads and get ready. It's not look down and say, oh boy, we got to elect a better president. There is no president in the world that can solve the world's problems today. Of any nation in the world. That's why it calls it perplexity. With all due honor to our scientific community in New Mexico, they don't got a clue either. You can wrap up all the guys in Los Alamos who can't even keep a fire out of their backyard, um, and all the people in Sandia, and they won't be able to figure it out either. That's called perplexity. We have global problems no economist can solve, no scientist can solve. And our response as a church, I'm keeping my head up. And we are called to be righteous to the point of almost ridiculousness in this world that they would look at us and say, there is something really wrong with you. You're not worried. I'm not. Because I've resolved things with my Savior. And I'm not dependent upon the Federal Reserve solving my problems. Uh, they caused them, so I don't know why we think they're going to solve them. I'm not dependent upon our military keeping me safe, nor my little policewoman. I'm waiting for a Savior. Until then, with patience, I'll preserve my soul because I'm waiting. And so, what is our response then when we know that the trees are budding and summer's coming is to look up. Redemption is here. We are going to be fully purchased soon. And, and we run around and we scurry here and there like this stuff matters a whole lot. Like it's going to be here for a while after we're gone. We act like this is still our home. And the Bible says, look up.
Your redemption is near. If we lived at 66 AD, I'd walk up to you and say, there's an army outside. What do you think we ought to do? Well, what's for supper? Well, I think we better work on that addition. Because the baby's coming. There's an army outside around our city. What are we going to do? And yet that's the answer. We're just going to blind ourselves to it and just carry on life as if the sign isn't there. Look up, which means stop looking at all this stuff down here and start considering where you are spiritually with the one above. That's what's going to matter real soon. And real soon, I will contend well within this generation. My generational clock started back in the 90s somewhere. Well within that time, Christ will come. And if you're looking around instead of up, whose disciple are you? Who is your Lord? Who is your God? What is your God? Jesus Christ here earlier in Luke called several to be his disciples. And they said, well, let me go bury my father first. Let me go take care of this property first. Let me go do this other thing first. And Jesus' response is, don't bother. If you're going to look back on the plow, you're not worthy of my kingdom. If those things are still precious to you, more precious than me, you're none of mine. Well, folks, Christ draws near. What are you looking at today? Are you looking up with your head lifted or are you looking around with your head down? The call to God is these things begin to happen and they have begun. Look up. Prepare yourself. And that means that are you really ready for your eternal retirement? Let's pray.